You are listening to the Choose Your Struggle Podcast, a member of the Shameless Podcast Network. Welcome to the Choose Your Struggle Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Schiffman. On this show, I interview people with lived and learned experiences in mental health, substance misuse and recovery, and drug use and policy, but occasionally we talk about other topics as well. This week's show features a conversation with Ife Tayo Harvey, the founder of the People of Color Psychedelic Collective. But first, Kid Mental, let's go. Things ain't always gonna go our way, but you can always win when you choose your struggle. And some battles will be yesterday, but today is for a new beginning. Choose your struggle, and don't worry about what they say, but you can always win when you choose your struggle. And you can bounce back, yes, that's right. Come on in, listen in to Hello and welcome to another episode of the Choose Your Struggle podcast. It's great to be with you all. I hope you enjoyed last week or the last couple episodes. Really great couple of episodes. Shay was wonderful. And of course, Ioka. I mean, how cool is that, right? I mean, this is an incredible up-and-coming musician. I don't even want to call her up-and-coming because, like, she's here. And I got a chance to chat with her, and that was fantastic. She was a lot of fun. So before we get into today's episode, a couple of quick things. Number one, I mentioned this briefly on Monday's episode, but there is new merch. That's awesome. So the link is in the show notes, or you can go to jshiffman.com, J-A-Y-S-H-I-F-M-A-N.com, and go to the store page, which will take you to the new store. It's on TeePublic, and what's great about TeePublic is uh, they handle all of the stuff, right? I mean, Ryan, uh, Choose Your Struggle Strategist, has been killing it, uploading awesome designs, and they handle distribution, making the stuff. So it's a great way to support me. It's a great way to grab some sweet merch. Uh, thank you to T Public for helping us out. Go check it out. The, the designs are awesome. There are so many different things that represent uh, things that I say on this show work that we do at Choose Your Struggle, uh, Ending Stigma. It's, it's a lot of fun. A lot of the designs are fun. And Ryan is coming up with new stuff all the time. This is honestly the thing we talk about the most right now because we're both so excited about this. And keep checking back because we're, we're uploading stuff all the time. So uh, that will continue coming. I would say right now there are a couple designs. I've already bought stuff personally. I mean, even though it's I don't I don't get a discount. I, I'm paying the same price everybody else is. But what's great about T Public is that there is um, discounts all the time. I mean, you're you're not going to pay full price. It, everything is always discounted, which is amazing. You know, not as much money in my pocket, but that's fine. That's not the point of this. The point is to get some really great merch out there. So go check it out. Again, it's in the show notes or. Uh, go to my website, jshiftman.com, and click on the store link. So that's number one. Number two, uh, special shout out to the countries of Hong Kong and New Zealand. New Zealand, I've been in their top 100 mental health podcast for the last couple of weeks. Thank you, New Zealand. And Hong Kong, I am currently in the top 20 English language uh, mental health podcast. So thank you, New Zealand and Hong Kong, both of y'all. This is amazing. I love how popular this show is around the world. It makes me super happy. Like, I say this a lot, and, and, and y'all know I spoke at Poddon a couple months ago. I'm speaking at a former multi-time guest on this show, Heather Wild Smith's uh, Summit, 
in a couple of weeks about this topic. I don't <laughs> I don't care about the money. I don't care about the downloads, all that kind of shit. What I care about is this. I love seeing the show trending around the world. I love hearing from you. I love seeing the people are buying the merch, trying out Roadrunner and bookshop uh, using my my links, not because it helps, you know, puts a little bit of money in my pocket. It does. It puts a very little bit, but more because it means this show is having an impact. And that is awesome to me. So thank you to Hong Kong. Thank you to New Zealand. And thank you to everybody for checking out the merch, for checking out Roadrunner, for checking out uh, the, the everything. Just just thank you. I really appreciate it. Now, this week's episode is with Efet Ayo Harvey. Efet Tayo Harvey. Uh, she is the founder of the People of Color Psychedelic Collective. Uh, she is incredible. Here's her quick bio because, you know, this is important. She's currently the social media manager for Caring Across Generations. She's worked with the Drug Policy Alliance and MAPS. She had a uh, a, a pretty incredible life-changing experience in college that that uh, she talks about on this that really set her in this direction. But before that, she you know has had this care for ending the war on drugs. She grew up um, raised by her mother and and one of seven children in South Carolina. Uh, her her she was grew up in a family that the war on drugs. I mean, this was real. It really impacted her family. And she has a bachelor degree from Smith College in History and African Studies. And, and all of her links on the show notes, as always. She, she She's someone that I started seeing referenced a lot recently, and I reached out and said, I have to learn more. Um, she was so kind. She's like, oh, my God, I, I know your name uh, from when I was working at Drug Policy Alliance because of the, the fundraiser from last year, which was awesome. And, and so that's obviously credit to all of y'all for helping out with that. And so she, of course, was excited to come on the show. Her organization is doing some really cool work. So y'all are going to love this conversation. She's wonderful. And, and I just appreciate hearing this on multiple levels. Again, you hear it. Uh, she has lived this work in her, her entire life. And, and I'm so thankful. Um, so Ife Tayo, thank you for taking the time. Thank you to all y'all. And enjoy this conversation with the one and only Ife Tayo Harvey. Hey y'all, it's Victoria Rowland, the host of Unseen, the Traffic Truth Podcast. I wanted to come on and tell you, please, please, please check us out. We're on all the major platforms for podcasts. We have our website, Unseen, the Traffic Truth Podcast, and we're on all the social media handles. You're wondering, what are we? We sharing and telling and exposing truths behind human trafficking, sex trafficking, the commercial sexual exploitation the commercial sexual exploitation of children, affecting the most marginalized communities. That's women of color, males of color. That's members of the LGBTQA2 spirit individuals. Listen to our stories. We are not often heard. We're not often seen. Our stories don't make the headlines, but these are truths. This is how you learn. This is how you become compassionate to make change. This is how you help us to be better, even leaders in the anti-trafficking movement. Visit, listen, check us out. Unseen Traffic Truth Podcast. Thanks for sharing the podcast with your friends. If you're listening on Apple, 
please rate and review or check out the review link in the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Ife Tayo Harvey, and I'm the founder of the People of Color Psychedelic Collective. I'm a drug policy reform advocate and writer. I also work as the social media manager at Carrying Across Generations. And I will add to the end of that, you are someone who I've discovered over the last, when did we first get connected? About two months ago, maybe? Mm -hmm. And uh, since then, it's like every time I see a story in the psychedelic space, they are either referencing your organization or you're quoted. And it's just because I think we have sort of broken through a um, a, a wall of stigma around psychedelics. But those of us who truly care about this issue realize that there's a second level there, and it is the absolute whiteness of this uh, of this issue. And so I think that you're starting to see more people focus on the fact that we need other voices that are not just white men in this space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And, you know, I've seen so much change in the past couple of years. Um compared to when I first got into the drug policy reform space, um, and then more specifically the psychedelic space. Uh, back in 2016, I wrote a piece for Symposia magazine called Why the Psychedelic Community is So White. And um, I felt like it made a lot of waves uh, because I would get random emails from people were saying like, oh, I found your article. You're like the first black person I saw who wrote about this issue. And <laughs> so it's 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 really nice to see how, you know, since I wrote that piece, how, you know, there's a lot of groups like the People of Color Psychedelic Collective, you know, doing similar work now. I, I love that. And I want to talk all about your work and some of the most, I think, prescient points you just brought up about where we are moving in terms of broader society around psychedelics. But first, nobody gets into this work that we do. They don't just wake up and go, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to dedicate my life to drugs. You know, <laughs> I mean, there's a personal connection to the, for those of us who do this work. So help me and, and my listeners, more importantly, understand what it was about you that made you want to dedicate your life to not only drug use and drug policy, but specifically uh, the awareness around psychedelics and, 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 and having uh, a vo- or, or making sure that there is a space and a voice for people of color in the psychedelic space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think for drug policy reform or broadly, what motivated me was, uh, you know, the fact that my father was sentenced to 15 years in prison for cocaine trafficking. And that was an experience that um, I went through as a young child, uh, starting around the age of four. And he was released um, early around the time I was 12. And so when I got to the Drug Policy Alliance as an intern in 2013, I started speaking about um, the issues around parental incarceration and how it impacts children and families. And, you know, there's still a lot of research to be done on this issue. But for me, it was really important to speak about it because, um, 
there's so much shame and stigma around incarceration, right? If you're um, deemed a criminal by our society, then you're basically deemed disposable. And as a child of someone who is who is deemed a criminal, that stigma also falls on you partly as well. So that was a broader issue that brought me into um, drug policy reform work. And with psychedelics, you know, it's interesting because I had friends in college who were experimenting with psychedelics at parties and stuff like that. And I wasn't too interested, um, to be honest. I was just like, ah, whatever, like, have fun, be safe, you know, (laughs) tell me about it later. But I wasn't too interested in in that kind of thing Um, until my senior year of college I was uh had just turned 21 and um and I was just going through a very very heavy depression um where you know I was going into the year with so much responsibility um extracurriculars I had like two or three work study jobs on campus right And this depression just hit me and it's like, I, can I actually live up to my responsibilities? Um, And it was like, you know, really like nothing ever I, I experienced. I I grew up, um, you know, a lot of times depressed as a child. And, you know, as I got to be a teenager, I kind of, I guess, kind of shed that off of me, but um, during my senior year, it had come back full force and I was struggling with like suicidal ideation, um, depression. I wasn't, I was, you know, missing a lot of my classes or just, you know, missing assignments, things like that. Um, not sleeping well, that kind of thing. And when I was at, uh, DPA's conference in Denver, in 2013, the International Drug Policy Reform Conference, um, DPA gave me the chance to speak at the opening plenary. And so I spoke um, about my father being incarcerated. I had this whole speech plan, you know, everything written down. And in the middle of it, I just started crying because it was just like saying those words that were on the page in front of over a thousand people just became it, it made it more real, right? And so it, it was a very, you know, healing experience. And afterwards, um, later that day at the conference, I went to a panel on um, psychedelics and end-of-life care with psychedelics. And so, you know, during this time, like I mentioned, I was going through a heavy depression myself. And um, sitting on this panel, they're talking about, the experience of um, having a terminal illness, of um, having anxiety around dying. And um, I related to that for some reason. I I felt like I had so much anxiety that I never had before. And um, I think hearing this panel kind of convinced me like, okay, I should give these mushrooms a try. (laughs) My friends have been talking about it for a while, but I've been sleeping on them. So 
you know, I told myself when I go back to uh, Massachusetts, I was going to look into getting some mushrooms. And so I did. And, you know, I asked my friends, like, what do I do? How do I take this? What is it like? You know, what do I expect? I wanted the whole rundown. And my friends were like super supportive and helpful and gave me all the info I needed. So I like picked a day to do it. I got one of my best friends to go into the woods with me um, on campus after I ate the mushrooms and um, it's all started kind of hitting me and it was really overwhelming at first, but, you know, it turned into a really great experience for me. And I think by the end of that year, um, like towards graduation, I told my friends like, oh, you, we all should take mushrooms together. So I got like five or six of my friends to take some mushrooms <laughs> two days before our graduation. So after that, I, you know, it was just great seeing how my friends love mushrooms and how like positively they reacted from it. And um, as, you know, after graduation and all that, I didn't really know what direction I wanted to take this new experience in really. I was just, I just know I was excited and the mushrooms are powerful and amazing. Right. And it was also shifting my perspective on a lot of things. Um, and I would say about a year after I graduated, I got offered a job at MAPS, um, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, working as uh, Rick Doblin's assistant. And so that kind of made me just, it was like a crash course in psychedelics in a way, <laughs> because, um, you know, Rick has been in the psychedelics world for longer than I've been alive. And, um, you know, just being his assistant, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about the big players in the psychedelic field. Um, all the different research being done, all the possibilities as well. Uh, but, you know, there's a big elephant in the room, right? Like I'm the only black person at this organization. Uh, <laughs> and that's really awkward. It's really awkward, you know, to work for an organization that, you know, is doing work around trauma. Uh, it's very exciting work, but at that time, race was not something that was really talked about. Um, and so that was super awkward. And ultimately, MAPS was in a great fit for me as an employee. And I left after eight months of working there. Um, and I ended up going back to the Drug Policy Alliance, um, working full time in their communications department. And I realized I still want to do psychedelics work because there was a space, there's a need for folks of color um, who want to learn or want to organize around psychedelics, but there wasn't um, any other organizations at the time that I knew of that were really doing a lot of that work. You know, I there were some folks that I met, like Kalindi E or Kai Wingo, you know, who had their own movement in Cleveland and Detroit. But I was really looking for a um, 
you know, resources for, for folks of color who are interested in psychedelics. And so, um, after connecting with a lot of people over time, um, we started regularly meeting and, and talking about these issues and, you know, what was missing from these conversations that were being had. And slowly that turned into us doing more projects together and then slowly uh, forming an organization. Wow. Well, there's a lot in there. Uh, <laughs> the first thing I, I think needs to be said is that I'm so sorry that you had to go through the experience you did with your dad. I'm sorry for him. Uh, I, 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 you know, we talk a lot about the war on drugs on this show and, uh, you know, hearing how you, your entire family were, was the victim. I, I'm very sorry for you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And it's, it's unfortunate. Um, you know, I grew up thinking that I was the only kid who, you know, had a parent in prison. I was afraid to talk about it a lot of times, but as I do more of this work, I realize it's very common, um, especially for black children. I think one in nine black children have or had a parent in prison. Um, and so it just goes to show that this is a huge problem in our society. So, I mean, yes, obviously it's a giant, giant problem. And, and unfortunately it is being, um, you know, it's being talked about, but too often the uh, trying to heal the just sometimes mind numbingly awful wounds of the war on drugs is buried under other reasons for reform here. Right. I mean, we hear the argument made, uh, especially from our leadership and I'm using that term very, very loosely um, for the financial impacts of, of drug reform, even higher listed than, than healing these wounds of, of what happened, you know, to, to families like yours and, 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 also buried in there is the acknowledgement that, okay, yes, maybe we misled the public for a hundred plus years on how dangerous these drugs were, but also guys, let's focus on the money here, right? I mean, that is sort of the, the direction that the um, uh, Chuck Schumers of the world take, you know, yes, okay, we should talk about legalizing, but mostly because let's think about the money your, your, your areas can make, not because of all these other more important reasons. So, so that's a whole nother thing. That's just me ranting here for a second. <laughs> but, but specifically with your story, I guess that the question that comes to mind for me is, you know, why do you think in, 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 for you, at least personally, clearly there was a part of you that once you started using psychedelics, you were like, Oh, this, you know what I mean? Like, this is what's up. Right. Mm -hmm. Where mm -hmm. did that initial reluctance come from? And, you know, what made your, your trajectory so steep in, in sort of coming out of that reluctance into where you are today, where this is what you do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The reluctance. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, I'm just thinking back to my first experience with mushrooms and how, you know, the things that I was seeing seemed so unreal and otherworldly and almost like my childhood imagination. And, 
you know, explaining that to people or talking to people about that is like, okay, like people kind of look at you like you have two heads. And um, I think what made me kind of come out of that reluctance was the fact that, you know, this research is happening so fast, you know, it, it, to some folks, it may seem like it's taking forever, but it happens really quickly and it can, you know, go over our heads um, as well. And so I think for me, that uh, pain and depression that I was feeling um, as a student at Smith, I, I realized through taking mushrooms that, okay, this can be managed quite easily. Um, can we, I want to focus on that. I'm so, mm-hmm. so glad you said that mm-hmm. because that is such an important point to underscore that a lot of the research is showing that the, you know, you, in fact, God, I wish I wish I could remember who did that, what university did this, but they had two groups. One group got traditional over-the-counter pharmaceuticals for depression. The other group had infrequent mushroom experiences and that group was like the worst the lowest of the range i shouldn't say worst that's not the right word the lowest of the range was at where the pharmaceuticals were that the, mm-hmm. the people who were using like the 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 growth of their mood and and the the, the overall improvement of their mood was so much higher and those are the sort of of studies I think that you're talking about here, where it's like we're we're quickly learning how incredibly healing these this plant can be in the right uh in in the right setting, right? I mean, set and setting is very important, but mm-hmm. this is something I talk about a lot as a, as a person who 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 does microdose. The the I, I rate my mood every day. It's part of my mm-hmm. mindfulness exercise. And since I started microdosing, you can look at my ratings and it has it has risen an entire point ranking. Mm-hmm. And it's it's mm-hmm. just so obvious to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's kind of baffling how simple it can be, right? Because, I mean, that's the decision that I struggled with during my senior year. Um, I was in therapy. I'd been going to therapy since um, my freshman year. And uh, when senior year came around and the depression hit really hard, um, my therapist recommended that I talk to the psychiatrist and, um, you know, see what options I have. And, you know, my options were Wellbutrin or I think Celexa, I forget. Um, And I was really cautious about um those medications just because my mom is an herbalist and so she was always like really hesitant about uh, pharmaceuticals and you know I I have a lot of friends who use antidepressants and you know other things like that and it works for them fine and you know I know psychedelics are are not for everyone so for me, I was I was just really hesitant and they were telling me all these side effects. They're like, you know, no sex drive, gain weight. And I was like, oh, this stuff, this sounds terrible. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, okay, I'll think about it. But, uh, you know, so when I 
did the mushrooms I definitely just felt I mean afterwards after the trip ended I felt you know like I just had a new perspective I think before like I said I was struggling with like suicidal ideation and then after that trip I kind of just felt like I was shown or reminded about you know my purpose in life you know and and I think that psychedelics what they do is they show you yourself in a different context and for people who are struggling with depression or other mental illnesses that can be really helpful because you know having a mental illness especially one like depression anxiety ptsd um it's kind of like your, you know, like the Ghetto Boys song, your mind playing tricks on you. Like your mind is just constantly playing tricks on you and and uh, kind of distorting the way you see yourself. And so with psychedelics, I think that they help you see yourself in a, in a gentler light, um, in a more compassionate light, in, in, a, in a way that, you know, shows you, okay, here's some some things that you can improve on, but here's some things that, you know, are very beautiful about you and your life and, and the people around you. Um, and so I think having those reminders can be so healing. And, and when you're doing that in community with people, you know, whether it be, you know, a ceremony or just, you know, recreationally doing mushrooms, acid, whatever, with your friends, that can also be like, I guess, magnified healing, because you're also witnessing the healing of other people, um, and some of the pain of other folks as well. And I think that it, it always helps to have have other people supporting you and for you to support other people. Well, I want to keep going down that, uh, that line of thinking, but first let's mm-hmm. pause, please shout out where people can find you online, where they can follow you, where they can support you, all the good stuff. Yes. Yeah, so the P- POC Psychedelic Collective, we're active on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Um, you can find us on Instagram at POC Psychedelic Collective, and the same for Facebook. Twitter is POC Psychedelics. I'm also active on Twitter at um, IF3TAY0. The Choose Your Struggle podcast has been so lucky to have numerous truly change-making authors on this show. From Adi Jaffe to Emily Dufton, we have been blessed by hearing them speak and now it's time to grab their works. Now, you could go to Amazon if you wanted to shop online, but let's be honest, that's not the right choice. So I'm gonna invite you to head over to my partner, Bookshop. If you go to bookshop.org slash shop slash CYS, again, that's bookshop.org slash shop slash CYS, you're going to find all of your favorite books and you're gonna support the podcast in the process. But that's not even the best part. Bookshop has an incredible program that allows you to select your favorite mom and pop or neighborhood bookstore 
and they will give them some of the proceeds from your order. Now, living here in Philly, that's been a really hard choice because we have fantastic bookstores all over, but I selected Harriet's, which is a truly wonderful black-owned bookstore in Northern Philly. I love it. My wife loves it. We go there as much as we can. Honestly, why would you go anywhere else? So again, go check out Bookshop at bookshop.org shop CYS. You're going to find the book you're looking for. You're going to support your neighborhood bookstore, and you're going to support the podcast in the process. So check it out today and go ahead and buy that book you've been waiting for. Find me on social media. Check the link in the show notes or search for me, Jay Schiffman, on YouTube and LinkedIn, and choose your struggle on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I want to I want to really dive into your organization here in a second, but you were just talking about something I think that's really important, and that is, you know, having other people supporting you. So. Uh, for for listeners who may be and, and by the way you're now going to be like the third person in the last month talking about psychedelics and i think this is very important for for people who are curious to let's say do uh, try psychedelics in a in, in as safe of a way as possible you know talk for a second about setting up uh you know it sounds like to me when you did it for the first time you kind of you know you made sure you had someone with you you all that kind of stuff so if someone's curious, how would they go about trying psychedelics in a safe way in your in your opinion? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And some of it depends on which particular substance you want to use. But for this conversation, I'll focus on mushrooms. Um, so when I was first doing mushrooms uh, back in 2013, I, you know, was asking, one of the first questions I asked my friends was, okay, how many do I take? And everyone was like, oh, we'll take three and a half grams. And I was like, okay, so definitely think about how much you want to take. And for everyone, I would not recommend three and a half grams. I, <laughs> listeners, I'm going to cut in real quick and say, I wish you could see my face right now. I am like terrified. Uh, if I took three and a half grams, I would be like naked running through the street like Will Ferrell in old school. Uh, for me, for me, tripping starts at around two. So three and a half would be I am the Lizard King. Please continue. <laughs> yes. Yes. Thank you. So it's it's funny because I didn't learn about that till way later all my friends are like oh three and a half is good three and a half grams is good it wasn't till later that I met people were like that's a lot you know I'm like oh really I didn't know (laughs) so it's it's always good to just start at an amount that is that you're comfortable with right like I feel like there's this sentiment in the psychedelic space especially with mushrooms where it's like oh, you need to take more, you know, you need to take 5, 10, 15, you know. I know there's a lot of high-dose advocates out there. I'm more of a person who's like, you know, start low and go slow. You know, you do not want to be taking too many. Um, And like you said, Jay, I think two grams is good. Um, I also recommend people starting with a microdose if they – you know, if they want to do like half a gram or something like that, just to get a feel for it, I think that's great as well. You know, it's 
that's a really important point. And I want to, mm-hmm. because I've, I've had people respond before when we talk, say stuff like this being like, no, but give us actual numbers. So by definition, anything under a gram is a microdose. However, when we talk about microdose, we're really talking 0.1 to 0.3, mm-hmm. maybe 0.5. If you have a high tolerance, right. um, a, a normal level for, or I shouldn't say normal. That's a bad word. A safe level for most people. If you actually want to feel the effects of tripping, is anywhere between uh, 1.5 to 3. Uh, for some people, up 3 is is actually their their uh, their their level. Anything above that would be considered a, a a high dose of mushrooms. And as we just joked about, probably not where you want to start for your first time. That is a lot of of mushrooms. Um, so for me, I know that anything be- between one and one point five is I'm going to start having some some effects. Anything mm-hmm. you know between point one and point three is a solid microdose start. And, and I want to echo that in saying I also. So would recommend uh, starting with a microdose, see how your body feels and then kind of go up from there, as you said. And I really appreciate you saying that. Start low and go slow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's not it's not a contest. I feel like a lot of people kind of treat it as a contest and like a superiority thing. Oh, I took this amount of mushrooms, so I am a superhuman now. <laughs> uh, but it, again, everyone everyone's body is different. I have some friends who you know, they've taken three and a half grams and they didn't feel anything. And I'm like, what are you like? What are you serious? So definitely start low and figure out what's comfortable for you and take your time with it. The other thing, um, you know, like I mentioned in my story earlier, I had some friends uh, who are my sitters. So definitely having like one sober person, at least one sober person around, is so helpful um and and it also depends on your setting like me my first time tripping was on my college campus so (laughs) and that comes with privileges and risks right like I knew that being on my school's campus there was very um little chance of me interacting with law enforcement you know there of course we we do have the school officers or whatever but I knew that it was a very little chance that I would have any interactions with them, just given, you know, my school um, vibe and everything. So, you know, I think picking a, a, be- a beautiful setting is um, super helpful. You know, being in the woods was like amazing and somewhat overwhelming. So that's why I think it's good to have another person just, you know, cause sometimes your body has responses to mushrooms. Like me, I threw up my first time and I'm a person who I think in the back of my mind, I fear having like uncontrollable <laughs> bodily functions like throwing up um, in front of other people. So, you know, having someone else around is super helpful. You know, if you need water, if you need a a barf bag, if (laughs) if you need like just someone to hold your hand while you're walking, it never hurts to have a trusted buddy and emphasis on the trust because you don't want to be around someone who you're not solid with, right? Like, there, you, you know, there's always those fair weather friends, but those are not the people you want to be around while you're tripping because then you'll start thinking about how fucked up your friendship is with this person. So you want to, you want to have someone who, you know, 
um, is a positive person in your life and, and can be trusted and can also hold space for you if um, difficult things, memories, um, things like that come up during your trip because you don't want to be further hurt or further traumatized while under the influence of mushrooms. Um, I guess the last thing I'll say is like, don't forget to have fun either, right? Like, I think one of the most fun parts of my journey, my first journey was just being in my dorm room. I had a bunch of like trippy posters that I didn't even realize were trippy until I was actually tripping. And I'm like, oh, this what that this is what trippy means. Like I had a um like a glow in the dark sublime poster, uh uh the Beatles, Sgt. Pepper, Lonely Hearts Club band poster. So all that stuff was like super trippy vibes and I'm like looking at it. Uh my friends are showing me like Yellow Submarine by the Beatles video on YouTube and I'm like this was like, they were definitely on some shit when they made this, you know? Um, so stuff like that. And then go outside, you know, if, if there's like a nice park, um, beach or something, go outside and just enjoy that. Like, look at the sky, that kind of stuff. It's just, it's nice. You know, journeying doesn't always have to be about doing the hard work of just like, facing your trauma, facing your pain, like that's part of it. But I also think, you know, we need to have some time to just have fun and laugh. Like I remember being on my trip in college and just laughing so much. Like, like I felt like a baby, you know, when you're like tickling a baby and they're just like, ah, like nonstop. That's how I felt. I could go from crying to laughing in two seconds. And that felt amazing because being depressed, I felt like I forgot how to laugh. I forgot what laughing was on like a deep level. And when you have those like really deep belly laughs, it just uplifts your mood um, so much. I want to, yes, thank you for so much of that was just perfect. Um, Definitely underscore having a a person who will be a safe companion with you in that moment is incredibly important. You know, I've been on some trips where I've been that for people as really painful memories have come up and you just need someone there who's going to listen. And as you said, hold space. Uh, Here's a shout out to a former guest, uh, Joshua White of Fireside Project. Uh, that their new their new um, peer support line uh, 623-473-7433 if you did not put that in your phone or download the app and and you know if you are the the, the companion have that ready if, if somebody else is give them that uh, just in case the person tripping needs some support so uh, you know definitely shout out to them and big shout out to Yellow Submarine I've been on a couple of trips that have gone in a direction that we did not love and we kind of brought it back around by putting on Yellow Submarine. I actually met the 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 um the guy who drew Yellow Submarine, all of it by hand. Oh and, wow! Uh, yeah, and, and and his name is uh, Roy Roy something. I'm looking at. I have his autograph on a Yellow Submarine uh, thing over in my corner. Roy something. Um, but uh, yes, I, I would agree with you. He had to be on something when he because <laughs> that that shit was like. It's it's almost like a three one of those um, seeing eye posters where mm-hmm. okay you can see it but then you can see it yeah you know? <laughs> so 
Uh, you and I could share trip stories all day, but I think more importantly <laughs> is, is, is before we obviously close this in a little bit, is it's actually talking about your organization. So, mm-hmm. so when did you found it? You know, and, and I guess I, I hate to, to be this guy, but I want you to, to really get in the granular of why did you decide it was so, it was important enough that, I mean, obviously it's very important, but why did you decide to you, it was important enough for people of color to have a voice in this, to make you start this organization yourself? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, my organization, People of Color Secular Collective, uh, started in 2018. Um, and we started the process of formalizing uh, the group in terms of becoming a nonprofit in 2019. And so uh, right now we have a fiscal sponsor and we're hoping to lock down our 501c3 um, classification very soon. And so we focus a lot on education, community building. Uh, we started kind of small partnering with other psychedelic societies, like the Philly and DC Psychedelic Society. We did a couple panels with them talking about uh, patriarchy in the psychedelic world. And uh, in 2019, we had our first conference in Washington, DC uh, called Empyrean. And we had, you know, a good turnout. And, you know, we were totally grassroots, like no funding at all. Um, (laughs) And we got a lot of support from other organizations, you know, like Dance Safe, Women's Visionary Congress. Uh, So we fundraised about $10,000 for that conference and um, had it at the Eaton Hotel. And, you know, just seeing the turnout really kind of pushed me to believe in what I was doing. I think that sometimes, you know, when you have an idea, you're like, okay, this idea is good, but like, there's so many obstacles to get through to bring it to fruition. There's so many things I need, you know? And so when we were at the conference, it was a two-day conference and we talked about, you know, everything from psychedelic policy to environmentalism um, and art as well. And just seeing people come from a long way to come to your event was just, it's humbling and it's also motivating at the same time, you know, seeing people come from Detroit all the way to DC, people come from, there's a woman who took a bus up from North Carolina just to come for one day. You know, there was another couple who came from Arizona And I was just like floored by that. I was just thinking, I think going in, I thought, oh, it's just going to be folks from DC, DMV area. Um, But there are people who came from from far and wide. And that was just so inspiring and made me realize that there's a definite need and hunger for um, psychedelic spaces centered around people of color. Um, And just seeing the overall vibe of our conference, I felt like people were just so um, earnest and wanting to connect and meet with other people, really wanting to have these conversations and just realizing ultimately it's not even about the psychedelics, right? Like psychedelics are a tool. They're a tool in in our toolbox, but I guess the common thing is that we all want healing for ourselves for our communities we all know that the war on drugs has been a 
a disastrous failure and we want to end that. And so how do we do that? And how can psychedelics aid in doing that? I think all of those things are something that a lot of the conference attendees um, shared and thought about. The other thing we did that year was our retreat in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Um, it was on the smaller side, you know, but it was also something else that showed me that we need to keep creating these spaces for people. Um, I I believe that holding space, creating space for people is something simple, but is also has a profound impact on people because in our society the way that we set up space both physical and I guess figurative um is commodified to some extent right like even in the public space like parks it's very limited in how we can gather right you have to get uh permits and blah blah blah, blah right so if I can use my position uh, to create spaces for people to come learn and come heal and connect or take whatever knowledge they get, if they are able to take some knowledge and do something for themselves, then that's all I care about ultimately. And um, I think it's also, you know, creating these spaces, it's also important to center race, um, not because, you know, the white psychedelic conferences don't do that, but because we have, you know, a history of racialized trauma in this country, and we need to talk about it. And it's, it's because our parents didn't really have as much space to talk about these things. My parents will tell me some of the most shocking stories about their childhoods. And, you know, it's, it's got me thinking about how, A, how we treat children in our society, but also how racism and the legacy of colonialism impacts our families um, on a very, very deep level, you know? And my mom's uh, born and raised in Georgia, um, in rural Georgia in the 50s, and my father's from rural Jamaica, also raised in the 50s. And so, you know, both of those places have histories of being impacted by enslavement, of colonialism, and, um, and we need to talk about that because a lot of people speak about colonialism as if it's ended and it hasn't ended. There are still a lot of countries, territories, nations that are being colonized, um, and a lot by the U.S. And so I think one of my aims is to bring a politicized understanding to psychedelics, but also just our existence in general. Well, that was uh, really expertly explained, and I, I, I was trying to sort of set up what, what should have been a, 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 um, 
you know, a pretty easy pitch down the plate and you knocked it out of the park. So thank you. Thank you for that. The, the, the final question I want to end with before we go into the, into the final questions, that was not eloquent is, uh, if somebody is like just loving this and they're like, wow, I want to learn more about the people of color psychedelic collective. I want to interact. Like how can people or, 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 or how can people work with you? What are you looking for in terms of partners? You know, just kind of in a couple of minutes, how can people, I guess, hire you or, or work with you in that respect? Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Great question. So number one, I would say go to our website, www.pocpsychedelics.com. Sign up for our email list so we can stay in touch. Um, the second thing I would say is that, you know, in the coming months, we're going to be looking for um, folks to join the collective. You know, right now we have a smallish team, but we're looking to expand. Um, and so if you are a person of color who, you know, wants to use your skills for uh, this work, then definitely um, let's get in touch. Um, and you can, the contact information is on our website as well. And then for people who are part of organizations who, you know, want to work with us in some way, we definitely welcome that different types of collaboration, whether it be a panel or developing some kind of content. Again, you can hit the contact information on our website and we can um, start talking there, start a conversation. Uh, but we're, yeah, we're definitely interested in um, welcoming new members to the collective in the coming months and also welcoming collaborations and partnerships. Well, I know I would love to keep the conversation and go going and work with you in any way I possibly can. One more time before we go to the final questions, please shout out where people can find you online and follow you and all that kind of good stuff. Yeah, so our website is www.pocpsychedelics.com. And then our Facebook and Instagram are both under POC Psychedelic Collective. Our um, Twitter is POC Psychedelics. And um, my Twitter is IF3TAY0. Well, we always finish with the same two questions on this show. Number one, uh, what are your self-care habits? What works for you? Oh, great question. So, uh, <laughs> psychedelics is one of them for sure. <laughs> really? I wouldn't have guessed. <laughs> yes, definitely. I definitely got into microdosing over the pandemic. I was, I was kind of a person before who kind of turned my nose up at microdosing. I was like, Hmm, that's too good for us. Is that? Yeah. Is that okay. <laughs> yeah. And, but now I'm like, okay, I'm kind of into this. Um, I would also say, you know, I'm, I'm big into fitness. I'm a gym rat. So um, that has also been a big part of my self-care um, journey the past, I would say, five years. And then lastly, I would say music. I'm a musician. So I grew up playing trumpet, euphonium. I used to play with a community band here in New York called the Lesbian and Gay Big Apple Corps, but COVID kind of canceled that. Uh, so I've been focusing on singing, so I'm learning how to sing. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, all right, last question. 
uh, is we've spent the now last 45 minutes hearing why you're awesome. We should be engaging with your work and following you and all that. But this is your chance to shout out some other people, some, some whatever you're listening to, watching, reading, any of that that we all should be going and checking out too. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So I think one person who has had, who, whose work has impacted me, um, especially over quarantine, is uh, the NAP ministry, NAAP NAP ministry. And I, I love her work just because um, you can tell that it's just so deeply um, ingrained in like uh, theology, you know, black liberation and, you know, black history. And I, I think that, um, you know, grinding the grind culture that we have in the U S is something that so many of us, uh, struggle with, including myself. Right. And, um, that ministry's work has been kind of a, a guiding light through the pandemic. Um, I'll also shout out, um, of course, my former employer, the Drug Policy Alliance. <laughs> There's a lot of great people who work there and they do really amazing work. Also want to shout out Dance Safe. Um, I've been loving their social media lately. They do amazing work. Um, Harm Reduction Coalition, Harm Reduction International. There's, yeah, <laughs> there's so many awesome um, drug policy reform folks who I follow, and, and I'm just grateful to know all of these people. Well, I am grateful to know you now. I so much appreciate your work. I so much appreciate you coming by. Thank you for all of this. I am sure my listeners are going to love it. Thank you for having me, Jay. Hey, y'all, it's me, your host. I'm sorry to interrupt what I'm sure is a fantastic episode of the podcast, but I have to give a quick shout out to my partner, Roadrunner CBD. They have been working with me for a while now, and I just love their products. They have everything from tinctures to muscle gels, and all of them are fantastic. You know, I rub the muscle gel on my legs before I run, and they keep me feeling pretty good, which is saying something. So check out Roadrunner today at their website, www.roadrunnercbd.com slash ref, R-E-F slash C-Y-S. Again, that's roadrunnercbd.com slash ref slash C-Y-S. And use the code C-Y-S at checkout to let them know that I sent you and get 10% off. Trust me, you're going to love this. I've sent some of their products to a couple different people, and they've all become repeat customers. So check it out today, and don't forget to let them know that Choose Your Struggle sent you. Subscribe to my Patreon for behind-the-scenes looks at the podcast, sneak peeks, and bonus data. You'll also get a discount on Choose Your Struggle merch. Find it at patreon.com slash choose your struggle. All right, we've come to the end of another episode of the Choose Your Struggle podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I hope you found it as enlightening as I did. And it's a good reminder that we need to create intentional space. I had that conversation recently with a uh, incredible future guest of the show. She'll be on soon. I don't want to talk too much about it. I'm pretty excited about it. But I discussed with her the importance of creating intentional space in areas where representation is lackluster or worse, just downright terrible. 
And as Ifetayo said today, this needs to be done in the psychedelic space because it is just so white. So uh, thank you to her for for the work she's doing and, and for this fantastic conversation. Now, I should have said this on the way in. I'll definitely say it for Monday's episode. <laughs> I'm recording this from a hotel room in D.C. I'm here meeting with a friend of the, the org, Juice Your Struggles, uh, incredible writer, M.L. Lanzalata, and seeing a Kesher concert uh, tomorrow night. So um, just sort of where I am right now, but I wanted to make sure I gave you the best possible uh, edition of this show this week. So um, we're going we're gonna to draw this to a close, keep it a little bit short because there's a train going by. It is stiflingly hot in this hotel room because I turned off the air conditioning to record this because it was that loud. Uh, Nell is laying behind me. So uh, going to keep this short, but but we're going to go straight into the cards, which we're using the Mindful Reminders card deck this week as a reminder. That's 52 Powerful Practices for Teens and Adults by uh, Chris Willard, Dr. Chris Willard, and Mitch a Ablett, also Dr. Mitch Ablett. So here are the cards. All right, this one's called The Guest House. What unexpected emotional visitors are here today? Can you welcome and entertain them all? These guides from beyond. That's interesting. Um, I think that, that that's a, a, a interesting interesting way to put a very important point. Uh, and that is that, you know, we don't get to plan our emotions. Obviously, some of them are responsive, but other ones are simply just the reality of, of living in this world. And you know, uh, thinking of them as unexpected visitors to your 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 world is is interesting because it kind of is like, well, you know, are you going to welcome them in? Or are you going to say, nah, I'm going to pass, be on your way, <laughs> unexpected visitor? So a very interesting thought, very interesting idea. Thank you uh, for that card. Your good egg today is going to be um, just consider, just just think about some of the the, the ideas around creating intentional space. Um, this is something that I've gotten some arguments before in, with, with some people in my life who are basically like, you know, yeah, we need to make sure that there is, you know, room for, let's say, people of color or whatever different representation than is the quote-unquote norm, which is always going to be straight, white, rich, high-class men. But at the same time, they're like, we don't want it, 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 you know, it needs to be equal. We need to make sure that they're on the equal footing. And it's like, yeah, like literally this second that makes things equal. But that's not what equality is about. That's not what equity is about. You know, if you look at the history and then ignore it all, that doesn't do anything. And so, yeah, if that means I have to lose a little bit, that's good. That is a good thing. Um, I want to give up opportunities that shouldn't go to me because they should be going to someone else and encourage them to go to other people. That's what trying to create a more just world looks like. Uh, sometimes I say, <laughs> quite frankly, this is not my opportunity to, to have. This doesn't deserve to go to me. This should be going to somebody else. So just consider what intentional, intentionally creating space looks like and how you can do that in your everyday life. But most importantly, as always, be vulnerable, show your empathy, spread your love, 
and choose your struggle.